HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Mood Magazine, a new international quarterly publication about music and food. For more information, visit moodmusicfood.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that's him. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte, and I'm very happy to have a new friend of mine, uh, Katie Parla. Uh, she is an awesome, awesome lady so far since we've been talking uh, before the show. Uh, you're uh, I, I, from your bio and everything else that I've read about you. Uh, you're just kind of uh, all over the place, like I am. <laughs> you, it's good times. You are a, a Rome, uh, an expert in Roman and Sicilian cooking and beverages, and not to mention uh, sommelier and a writer and an educator. God, you're doing a lot of stuff. The good news is writing and booze go together perfectly. They do. It's an ideal yeah. pairing. Yeah. Uh, always. I mean, <laughs> uh, definitely uh, not reading, but writing. <laughs> yeah. The writing with the booze is good. The editing with the booze is really bad. Right, right. So got to prioritize. Yeah, exactly. So you live in Rome now. You yeah. Have for a while. For 11 years. I've been rounding up for like a, some time now. Yeah. and you're <laughs> Almost fr- 11. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's I, I haven't even lived in New York that long. Um, but you actually are from around here. You're from New Jersey, right? I'm from the Garden State, yeah. Yeah, nice. It's did, fantastic. It's crazy. I, it, you know, I, I've always dreamed about living abroad, but, uh, you know. I, I thought you were gonna, I thought you were going to say you always dreamed about living in New Jersey, and it's so doable, yeah. <laughs> and I can give you some advice on my mother's in real estate. That, that is abroad. There is a, it's across the water. It's true. It's foreign. <laughs> yeah. So how did you get started with all this? I mean, you were saying before that your dad owned a bar, and like you kind of grew up with it. Yeah, so I moved I moved to Rome for completely non-food and beverage-oriented reasons, but stuck around for those you know very items. Um, and I grew up in a restaurant family. My dad um, owns a bar. I mean, he's got a restaurant called Clyde's in New Brunswick, and uh, they're very famous for their like cocktails. So I grew up pouring cocktails and uh, trying to you know just sort of uh, learn all the liquors that I could and learn all the cocktails, and eventually moved from like bar back to bartender. And then I went to Italy, and I was like, oh, there are no cocktails here. This kind of sucks. <laughs> um, which isn't actually true. You know, when you when I moved to Rome 11 years ago, there was definitely this aperitivo culture. Sure. Aperitivo is sort of like the Roman or the Italian word for happy hour, where you go out, 
and uh, you eat for like maybe eight or 10 euros, a huge carb driven buffet with lots of airborne bacteria. And then you get a cocktail with it. So the cocktail is really the afterthought. And it's generally a watered down spritz or a completely undrinkable, totally unbalanced mojito. Um, Two things that I would not, I probably wouldn't drink either of those if you put a gun to my head. I'd be (laughs) hard pressed to, to do that. But things are, things are changing. I mean, it's taken maybe decades, like it's been half a century since, since Rome's really had an important cocktail culture, culture to speak of. But it's nice that now people are drinking for the sake of drinking rather than drinking for the sake of getting a huge buffet that fills them up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you could say the same thing of, you know, the United States, uh, anywhere in the world, but as far as like cocktail culture and having an important cocktail program, it has been decades and decades and decades since anyone's actually cared about it and we're very lucky to be living in a time where we can make our careers out of it and we can enjoy the cocktails and like educate people and just have fun with it absolutely because you know? one of my favorite things about i mean like the whole reason why i got into like the world of cocktails was going to my my favorite bar in my neighborhood back in oklahoma and like you know they there wasn't really uh, a cocktail scene back then but i i loved the food there and i was like man i wish i could get like a, a nice manhattan or something like that and uh, it just didn't happen so that kind of like drove me to i ended up working at that bar and i was like i ended <laughs> up bartending there yeah i made it myself and it, i, I mean i get it, it I, I so get that like i went to a, a if you just randomly go anywhere in rome for like food or drink mm-hmm. you're bound to be disappointed so i went to a friend's like art opening and i ordered in manhattan and i was like i don't believe that you heard me correctly when i ordered this this tastes like fruit punch and cough syrup like is <laughs> like what planet are we on and unfortunately that's the way that it is but because cocktails in Rome are sort of seen as a, as something that you just sort of like whip together and not something to have pride in or to even think of ingredients, super common, which is why it's so great that there are places um, that have opened in the past you know, year, year and a half, like the Gin Corner or Barnum Cafe, where there are people behind the bar who care about you coming back, even if you're not coming back, even if you're a tourist, they want you to have a really good experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are dedicated to making delicious things. Um, but they're doing it in a context really much different than how Romans drink, how Italians drink. Italians drink wine and beer with food. So cocktails, because they would be consumed in sort of an external context um, before a meal or after a meal, don't really fall into that sort of habitual, traditional consumption pattern. Um, And, you know, my favorite place to drink in Rome is, uh, is Barnum Cafe, where there's this like Irish, Irish, uh, Italian guy behind the bar and he's traveled and he's seen the world and knows flavors and things and is, um, is still like hard pressed to get all the Italians that come in to drink anything but, uh, an industrial beer or like bad red wine. Hmm. So it's wonderful that there are visitors to Rome or sort of cocktail geeks in Rome that, um, are drawn to his place, uh, which is, you know, a fantastic little space on uh, Via del Pellegrino in the center of Rome. Nice. I mean, but don't you think that that comes along with the, like we were saying before, like the education? It's like we have so many publications now that are focused not only on the food side of it, but now, you know, uh, even like wine enthusiast, uh, it's been around forever. You know, now it's kind of like one of those magazines that's really come back into its own and also started promoting cocktails as well and spirits. Um that goes with, uh, you know, even like Bon Appetit and Savour and like those magazines started focusing more and more on cocktails over the past, you know, eight, ten years. Um, 
Then, of course, you have new publications like Imbibe, newer mm-hmm. publications like Imbibe and uh, Punch, for Punch example, which is coming, coming out. out. Yeah, actually, Leslie's supposed to be on the show next week. Fantastic! Yep. Yay! And um, so, and and that's not to mention the the thousands of online publications uh, to go with that. Okay, so this is this is a really good point you're making. In order to follow all those things, you have to speak English and know English and sort of be traveling and tasting mm. things and like get it. And that isn't really the case for a lot of people who are in the food and beverage industry in Rome. When I was on Linda Palaccio's show um, in June, we touched on this. Um, I mean, simply in order to understand flavors fully, um, you have to enjoy traveling to taste things that you have never tasted before or confront yeah. things. Oh, yeah. It's so necessary. You have to taste everything. Which is why the great bartenders in Rome have traveled. They've oh, yeah. lived abroad and know other languages. And, and they really engage with their um, customers in a very like decidedly like North American way, um, which is absent from some of the other cocktail bars where you're just sort of mistreated because you're a nuisance. Right. Um, so if you want to educate people, um, you sort of have to do like one drinker at a time. And yeah. I, I don't, mean, you know, that's, that's great customer service as well though. It's so essential. I mean, growing up in, in this, uh, in this restaurant and bar family, like the customer is the most important element of that. You can do anything you want. You can make the best drinks in the world. But if you mistreat the people who are drinking them, they probably won't come back. And then you have to close. Right. And you can't do your awesome things anymore. Yeah. <laughs> sort of science. Um, or Wait, economic, how, or economics. <laughs> One of the two subjects. Um, but, yeah, in uh, in a lot of places in, in Rome, these great cocktail pro- programs are also present in the same place where you have, like, industrial, cheap industrial, like, wines and lagers. Um, so there's that real separation of uh, a sort of craft a craft cocktail existence and then sort of mass consumption but it's as I mentioned it's sort of it's changing and um, this guy Patrick Pistolesi who um, works at the at Barnum Cafe just opened the gin corner in June um, and it's the first gin bar in Italy gin is something that Italians drink in their um, cocktails but there's never been a place that's been dedicated to gin before so I think also choosing a specific spirit and sticking to that and celebrating that is shocking and amazing. Yeah. Especially um, for one of the most famous gin cocktails in history, the Negroni, coming yeah. from Italy. You know, it's like, wow, it's surprising that that hasn't happened yet. But, I mean, it's also, I don't know, especially like you said, there, the lack of consumer education in and Rome, like you were saying, it's not not necessarily the lack of it. It's just like the, the traditions of the way that you eat and drink and... Also, just not even the bartender education, mm-hmm. really, because uh, it, it all starts with like the bartender, totally, totally, the person at the shop selling the stuff. And we do um, have a really important movement in Rome that's led by the Jerry Thomas Project, um, which is a small sort of speakeasy style, um, one room place with a bar in the historical center. Um, and in addition to serving drinks, um, I think it's Tuesday to Saturday or Tuesday to Sunday. Um, they also train bartenders um, in oh, a, wow. in um, the past couple of years. The people that have trained there have opened their own places. So there is this growth that is certainly tangible, which is fantastic for, for anyone who likes a good cocktail. Nice. What's I just out of curiosity, I was just wondering about like we were talking about the the gin bar and uh I think that has like about eighty bottles of gin uh from all over the place. I was just they brought up a question in my mind. Um, what is the actual like alcohol distribution like there as far as like the variety of products that you can get? What you can or can't get? 
can get from can like get? around the rest of the world because there's so many obscure like here like we love obscure Italian uh, it is, liquor products. You okay, know? this is this is a great question. So I just recently my um, lovely friend Daphne from Slow Food Istanbul said, "Can you please bring me Carpano Antica? We can't get it in Turkey." I'm like, "Of course I can. I'm sure that'll be really easy to find in Rome." No. No. Absolutely not. There are two places that have it in stock, which doesn't mean that it's so in demand that it's sold out. They're just two places that believe it's worthy of being stocked. Costantini, which is this fantastic like temple to all types of booze, and it's wonderful. Um, and Italy, which is something else. Um, so um, I think that's really telling. You do find in Rome, but also in Istanbul, where I spent a lot of time, the cocktail culture, the availability of spirits is really dominated by the industrial brands because hmm. you need to educate your drinker in order to right. sell them something that's a little bit obscure from their point of view. So yeah, those uh, all those happy hours have a lot of like Smirnoff and all sorts of like Cuervo garbage being yeah. poured. And uh, it's unfortunate, but it's a fact. But thankfully, people are, are sort of fighting against this trend. But if Smirnoff or Cuervo want to sponsor our show. Of course. I wasn't being <laughs> pejorative. I wasn't using pejorative language, was I? <laughs> no, never. I all. never do that. Never. <laughs> never. Um, yeah, you know, to me, it's like I two of the bars that I you know, help manage uh, are Italian. And so I, and plus, I, okay, so two things, two parts here. I want to make great cocktails for them, but I also want to use unique ingredients mm-hmm. because that's the, like, when I go to a place, I look at the cocktail list and the first drink that I order or pretty much every drink that I order is the one that has the, the weird ingredient that I'm like, Oh, I can't believe they're using that here. Um, and especially us being Italians, like we're always like kind of wanting to like, you know, smuggle back like rare Amari that, uh, you can't get here at, you know, uh, different kinds of liqueurs that are New York probably different. has more Amari readily available than, uh, you think so? than Rome most times. Yeah, <laughs> I would say so. Oh, that's unfortunate. Well, Amaro is, is, uh, consumed so much differently here than it is oh, in, sure. in Italy. And now I think because the Italian peninsula and its islands have become a bit more cosmopolitan, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that they, you can find things from other regions you find on the digestive liqueur menu, grappa and limoncello and amaro, even though these things used to just be super regional. Um, right. But again, they're they're connected. They're totally tied to food. And at the Gin Corner, at Barnum Cafe, at the Charing Thomas Project, they don't serve food. Well, Barnum does serve food, but um, it's not necessarily part of your experience there. Yeah. So if you're drinking a high alcohol spirit, a distilled beverage of some sort, it's because you are desperate to digest after having a massive meal. That's... That's the ritual. That's the tradition. Um, and I would say 95% of places in Rome don't have anything resembling like even a marginally um, stocked bar. Yeah. So if you ask for like even a simple like vodka soda, you're out of luck. Oh, man. <laughs> it's it's crazy even thinking about that, you know, especially like living in the city, like kind of being jaded a little bit, you know, <laughs> as far as the world. Yeah, you're spoiled. Guys. Sorry, New York is I guess we one are. of the best places on the planet to drink. But I, I, but yeah. travel, again, is like super important, and that's why a lot of the yeah. bartenders, not just in Rome but in all of Italy, that are really succeeding and doing interesting things, have spent time abroad. And there is this massive economic um, recession here and uh, in Rome, and so people leave. They go to London. They learn cocktails. They study in cocktail programs, and it's something that they're really dedicated to, to reproducing in Italy, but they make it for a, an Italian audience. Yeah. So something that's not... Um, you know, perhaps as creative as what you find in London or New York, 
but it's certainly like a tangible improvement to what we had before. Nice. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll continue talking about the Roman cocktail scene with Katie Parley. Back in a few. What's Mood? Mood is a quarterly magazine about music and food. For its creators, not many things can beat a good record and a delicious meal. Maybe a well-written story or a gorgeous photo. Well, that's all in Mood. The magazine looks at music and food in a cohesive and unique way, with a keen eye to design and high-quality writing. Its contributors are located around the globe, and the stories span accordingly. Check it out today at moodmusicfood.com. That's moodmusicfood.com. And we're back. You've been listening to the Speakeasy with Katie Parla today. Um, we've been talking about the the Roman cocktail scene and just the the lack of uh, kind of like a lot of the interesting ingredients that we are so fortunate to have in many other places around the world to get to play around with, and uh, you know, uh, with all those different ingredients, it's so much easier to like get you know the the food pairing down. So we've always kind of done it here, you know. I mean, I will say that like one of my bars uh, at Prime Eats, like people don't do the traditional thing of like having a cocktail before and one after. Maybe a little bit in between during the meal. They just drink straight, cocktails straight through the meal. But I feel like that's a very American thing in general. It's a totally American thing, and I do it every time I come to New York. And I thank you for that. <laughs> Awesome. Complimenti, as we say in Italian. Well, you have to come <laughs> um, So, on that note, we were talking about uh, a little bit before we took the break about some of the the educational stuff and, and writing. And so, I know that you just recently contributed to the the new magazine that's coming out. You have a book. Uh, you've you've done a lot of writing. So, tell me about that. I write stuff and things. You write stuff about- and things things that I drink and eat. Um, So, yeah, I'm really excited about Punch, which is coming out imminently. And for that uh, fantastic nascent publication, I contributed an article about Istanbul cocktail culture in particular, a place that doesn't really have a name. It's just called Alex's Place or Alex's Bar. And it's right in the heart of the drinking capital of Istanbul, which is Asmala Mescid in the Beolu district. Um, So on the European side, not super far from like Galata Tower. And, uh, and the premise of the article sort of started as, there's this guy in Istanbul doing cool, interesting things. Um, and he makes a delicious cocktail in a city that is utterly dominated by bad drinks. Because, well, because 
alcohol is really expensive. So developing a culture requires a lot of money. If you go out yeah. on a Saturday night, you can get a you know thirty dollar cocktail or whatever it costs equivalent, and you're not necessarily necessarily thinking about the quality. You're thinking about how can this get me as intoxicated as possible Great. for this ridiculous price. So he's doing something really different, and you know, in the midst of writing the article, um, a law, a Turkish law, was passed which banned the promotion of alcohol advertising. Um, so beginning in the middle of September, any like craft cocktail bars or vineyards that had a website or a Twitter account or Facebook page had to shut them down. That's crazy. It's totally crazy. Already there was a huge obstacle to making drinks in Turkey as it was because the importers and distributors deal almost exclusively with massive brands. Right. Um, so they're confined to working with what is imported and produced and imported in mass. So Alex um, Waldman who's this fantastic uh, barman, um, has to make the most of what they give him. Um, so that makes him get really creative. And he's got a lot of guinea pigs um, who come to his <laughs> bar and taste you know, the different cocktails that he invents in order to make the most of, of what he's able to um, purchase and import. But with this lack of promotion, I mean, how can a bar survive if they can't even um, publish you know, minimal promotion for themselves? Yeah, even if you, like, even if you wanted to uh, feature one of his cocktails... You know, in any publication in Turkey, you can't do it. That's you crazy. You can't. It's but, totally illegal. Man. That's it's okay. I'm not afraid. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm terrified, actually. <laughs> Just do it and see what happens. I'd rather not. <laughs> no, this is, I mean, this is where it becomes really problematic because can you not write about, like, pleasure-driven things? Can you not write about, like, simple alcohol consumption? Cocktails are one thing, but wine has been produced in Anatolia for 8,000 years, maybe more. Yeah. To not be able to promote something that is like totally, utterly indigenous is shocking. Right. But the reality. I mean, it's, it, it seems to me like, uh, I don't know, I, I get really uppity about this stuff, but uh, in, any kind of like political or like religious like influence, which they always have been, mm-hmm. parts of alcohol consumption mm-hmm. and production, I don't know, I'm just like, guys, so let, you us, d- let us do our thing You now. disagree that the alcohol ban was meant to protect the children's? <laughs> <laughs> it's... Um, yeah, that's like the government's claim. Yeah. It's protecting the babies and the children's. Oh, wow. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I... Well, on a happier note. What are some of the other projects you've been working on? <laughs> um, so there's some fun things going on. Um, I'm in New York this weekend uh, to do a pizza and uh, Italian craft beer event with Gabriele Bon. She was like the most important pizzaiolo in uh, in Italy, perhaps the world. Um and, uh, and then when I go back to Rome, I'm doing this sort of fun and weird event with Andrea de Bellis, who is the leading pastry chef. He just opened his own pastry shop in, uh, in Rome in March. And he, he loves adapting other pastry chefs' recipes. So he borrowed the whole, like, cronut idea. Um, and he made a few cronuts one day and put it on Facebook, which is the the only way that Italian people communicate with each other when it comes to businesses like this. <laughs> um, so not on the website, on the Facebook account. Um, and he's like, I, I did this. And it was like this fri- deep fried croissant with sugar on it. And yeah, like it sold out really quick. So then we sort of started talking, like, do we want to do an event together? And I wanted to pair this uh, sort of eggnoggy type cocktail that I had. Eggnog isn't something that I crave in life. Um, it's, but when it happens, you're just so excited about it. But when it. it happens, you're like, oh my God, I've been missing everything. I didn't understand anything before this. And during a trip to Austria, I was served eggnog at the, at the end of a disgustingly like, cholesterol-driven meal. So it was only right to finish it up with, with, like, with yeah. a flute of eggnog. 
and I, I just need I need the I need the Romans to know about this thing. It's like so perfect and so unlikely, because at the most in Rome you pair your, your cornetto or any of your you pair your cornetto for sure with a coffee. Mm-hmm. At the if you're being really extravagant, a cappuccino. Um, but but then uh, with your fried foods, you drink beer or maybe some sparkling wine. But um, to pair like a cronut inspired thing with eggnog, I think everyone's going to probably either hate it or become obsessed with it. I'm hoping for the latter. We'll that, see. I'll keep you posted. Yeah, please do. Keep me posted on your uh, your Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, but uh, that's like that's two uh, two extremely wildly uh, different parts of the historical like food and beverage um, world. The eggnog and the cronut. I love that. I love it's, that. The it, juxtaposition is crazy. You know, when I was thinking about like what could possibly be paired, I was like, okay, maybe I'm just being super biased in favor of this uh, of this ridiculously awesome eggy thing that I had. Um, but the more I thought about it and then trying, you know, conceptualizing the two together, it's, I think, the only thing that works. And I wanted the, I wanted this event to have a cocktail in it because I have appointed myself the cocktail evangelist for the English-speaking people of Rome. <laughs> I don't know if anyone appreciates this, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> you know what? Uh, something that I've been kind of obsessed with lately, um, just because I, it's, it's one of those guilty pleasure drinks. Um, and it's also very, like, kind of almost dessert-driven. Oh, my like God. Tell me everything. Just, like, like, a lot of people screw this up, but a really, really well-made Irish coffee. Yes. I mean, I love Cafe Coretto. I mean, yeah. you know, of course. I'm thinking maybe you do some sort of riff on that, you know. That's cool. Do some That's riff. real cool. But, you know, the trick to it is having your, your whipped cream, like your actual, like, heavy whipped cream, just, like, almost ice cold. Yeah. And then okay. the coffee and, uh, in this case, maybe grappa uh, part, just Damon crazy fiery hot. Oh my God, you just earned yourself royalties for this event. <laughs> That's really cool. But it's one of those drinks that people screw up, you know? I mean... Absolutely, absolutely. But, and I think, yeah, I'm just sort of thinking thinking back on my last Cafe Corretto in particular. I was like, how could I have drank that? Like, that was like a... not. It was, it was an unmarked bottle, but not in like a good way. Not like someone's grandfather made this. It was just like not suitable for human consumption type of thing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. not good. But, you know, <laughs> Bad memory. You know, going back to the... Uh, the very beginning of the show, uh, when we were talking about, or close to the beginning of the show, when we were talking about the education of, uh, uh, like, kind of like the cocktail thing uh, in the Italian culture, there's one magazine in particular that I've actually contributed to a few times uh, that is printed in both uh, English and Italian. It's La Cucina Italiana, mm-hmm. which is a great magazine. It's fantastic, yeah. There's, uh, there's so many cool things that that magazine is uh, capable of publishing, you know, just for having those two markets that are, like, so into each other. Totally. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of potential for, for like, gaining interest in the Italian cocktail thing. As long as it feels authentic, Yeah. Um, I think it could fly. You know, on the flip side of it, too, it's, like, over here, and something that I feel like is changing... I, you know, the way we're talking about this now is that, you know, the kind of more classic driven kind of more spiritist cocktails being produced, uh, uh, mixed up in, and in, in Rome and in Italy on the flip side of it over here, we're at the same time starting to get more into the actual traditional ways of drinking vermouth and aperitivo, uh, like aperitivo and digestive, you know, uh, not I wouldn't say the DJ Steve part because we we have a problem with uh, you know slamming shots of Fernet Branca and Averna and Chinara. I've observed this. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you're aware of this. <laughs> it's a thing. I've seen it. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but definitely as far as the more specifically with like you know 
classics like the Americano cocktail and, uh, you know, just drinking vermouth on the rocks mm-hmm. or with seltzer. Uh, it's a lot of people are taking Campari and soda has always been a thing here. Sure. But I mean, it's it's really neat to see that people are actually into vermouth now and not just this like, is this is just, an amazing thing this is very good yeah and it's not just like the italian like red vermouth it's even you know you're seeing a lot of people drinking things like cookie americano um you know anything from like dry to blocks you know um but like drinking on the rocks with a twist it's amazing it's in it's not a, about you know we we've been so excessive over here for so long mm-hmm. now we're like kind of kicking it back it's like all right just chill out and enjoy this drink and you know and with like the amari and stuff it's so nice to just like sit there and vibe on all the um like the herbaceous notes and things yeah, yeah i was a uh, oh yeah I'm, I'm i'm very glad to hear that this is going on here because still um when you're at a an italian restaurant or a place in rome um and your amaro choices are like jägermeister but pronounced jägermeister so it sort of sounds interesting but you're like that's jäger um, <laughs> and like Averno, which I love, and is it's a guilty pleasure. But I was like, you only have Jägermeister, Jägermeister and Averna. That's it. It's sort of like your thing, but yeah. no. Yeah, you know, it's funny too. Going back to the vermouth thing, man. And uh, you know, especially you know when you would order a martini in Italy, they would pour you martini vermouth. And mm-hmm. over here, you know, you would order a martini cocktail for the longest time, and they didn't want any vermouth in it. So it's not necessarily even a martini. It's just funny the way things change that way. Yeah, and, no, it's it's incredible. And that's why, like, visiting these two cultures is so interesting. Because you have to learn, like, two languages, essentially, when it comes to cocktails and drinking. The same yeah. word can mean two totally different things. It's amazing. It, it means you get to drink more. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of good. You get to drink all the mistakes that, the, <laughs> that were <Correct>. made. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm very jealous of uh, your lifestyle and everything that you're working on right now. And if I ever find myself in Rome, I'll tell you. We'll go to Barnum. I'll take you out. Yeah, I would love to. I'd love to. Um, and anytime you're in town, please let me know and come back on the show. And I'd love to hear about what whatever it might be that you're working on at the moment. Right on. Thanks, man. All right. Katie, it's been great talking to you. Great talking to you. All right. That's it for the Speakeasy today. Check in next week. We'll jabber some more. All right. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.